episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sam Collier and Sarah Cho. And um, today we're just going to talk about general playwriting miscellany and what it's like to be us. (laughs) Um, And some topics we might cover include day jobs and rejections. More of it. And starving artists. Yeah, do you have anything else to add, Sarah? You know, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. It's Which one? The, just all of them. <laughs> just like the life <laughs> outside of writing, you know? Like kind yeah. of the thing, like the daily struggles that I always yeah. feel like I'm facing. And it, it feels so easy to, it's so easy to feel like you're alone in it. But yeah, that's true. And, but I feel like just opening it up and like talking about it. I'm like, oh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> it's always a good feeling. I know. You know like probably five times a day I think to myself should I have just you know got a degree in business and like <laughs> I, mean, I don't know I that's constantly that's not too. true I don't I don't think that five times a day <laughs> but, for but me, I am like maybe I should just get a real job you know mm-hmm. like for me I'm thinking for most most recently I've been thinking a lot about becoming a pastry chef like <gasps> you'd be so good at that really oh stop <laughs> no I think that'd be so fun oh my gosh I have to tell them this one time Sarah Cho was working at um what was that place called in Iowa City where you were working bread garden uh, bread garden mm-hmm. and there was a display of all these truffles and um you know they had their little signs in front of them with their names and one of them was called peanut butter truffles. And Sarah moved the sign so it said peanut butt truffles. <laughs> so based on that evidence alone, I think you'd be a great pastry chef. Oh my gosh, Sam. <laughs> uh, just anything to uh, make it more fun at a horrible day job, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was just because I love to bake at home. I like to cook and... And I just been kind of experimenting with different baking techniques and learning and YouTubing. And I was like, I really like this. And it's still cool. kind of creative. And but it's also expensive. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to oh, yeah. yeah. Are there I'm any like, grants available to pastry chefs? I don't know. I don't think so. But I feel like it's expensive because it's guaranteeing maybe they'll place you in a job after, you know. And it's, it's like being a oh, doctor, yeah. but not really. Well, I mean, instead of saving lives, you're making life more more enjoyable. Speaking of which, day jobs. Am I right? Yeah. You know, finding the right day job. Is, oh, yeah. I feel like I was working all these different types of jobs where at the both extreme. One was just a super boring job where I'm like, I don't feel like I'm being creative or doing anything. I'm just like wasting away nine hours a day five days a week and and then the other spectrum of that was like really crazy really busy I would be working till like 2 a.m on some nights and I'm like no no time at all for anything creative and so how do you find that nice little balance in the middle (laughs) I don't know and I've kind of gone the teaching route which I guess a lot of writers do um, where it's like, you know, my teaching has something to do with my art 
artistic practice. So that feels like it's part and parcel of my creative work. And then, so that's really neat in some sense. And at the same time, it's like, I find myself spending so much time outside because that's just the nature of teaching. It's like, there's so much work outside of the actual teaching hours that's devoted to grading and prep time. And remember Jose Rivera told us to put barbed wire around your writing time. Yeah. It sounds so aggressive though, (laughs) but I think it's true. It's Mm -hmm, like you have mm -hmm. to set aside your writing time and not let anybody touch it, including yourself. Because that writing time is, is really sacred, you know, like you have to take care of it. And because if you, if you don't put that mentality in place that it's important, then I don't know. I feel like you, it's so easy to make excuses. Right. And and not do the thing that you want to be doing, which is writing. Right. What's your favorite job you've ever had? My favorite job. There's no such thing, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Or what's the... Um, No, my favorite job, you know, it was actually, um, I want to say it was working at the film department office. Uh, when oh, I was cool. a, a college student, I started as an intern. Oh, this is okay. I told this kind of this moment really stuck with me. I was a freshman at UC Santa Barbara, and you know we all get our college email addresses, right? And then the, there's email blasts through those listservs, and oh, yeah. I remember getting an email from my department, uh, the film department I was the major for, like, hey, the film department office needs an intern. And, you know, we're looking for interns, a great experience, office, whatever, kind of that uh, email. And then I immediately got my resume together that day within within out, like within less than an hour, got my resume, printed it. And I just kind of walked up to the film department office and like, here's my resume. And when the the counselor was like, whoa, that was fast. (laughs) (laughs) He was like that that night. And then he pointed that out. Wow, that's like a good characteristic to yeah. have is like to be really responsive. And, and that really stuck with me because I was just, I didn't think that was, I was fast. Like I, was, I, I thought I was like, oh, this is normal. <laughs> like, because that was my first time applying to something too. So it was just yeah. like, once you get it, I thought you're just supposed to apply and go. Well, and also I think a face-to-face meeting always makes such mm-hmm. a big difference because like they met you and so they knew who you right. were like you weren't just an yeah application but you were a person who had dropped off your application <laughs> right. yeah from that meeting they hired me as an intern for the summer and then they hired me as like a assistant and that was my part-time job all through college you know and then I paid you know the bills and helped me you know with all the financial needs. And then and so then cool. after I graduated too, they actually hired me full time as an administrative assistant because just that experience. And, and I just liked working in that office because I was with professors, I was with students and I was with the staff and there was always these like guests that would come in, filmmakers through the office, you know, it was always kind of, it was a fun, easy environment to be in. And, and you got all of that just because of that. You dropped off yeah. your resume an hour after <laughs> yeah. you posted it. It wasn't days later. It's such a good story. Yeah. And I just feel like if I haven't found that job, like that kind of, that 
I don't want to say easy, but like that comfortable, like the people I was with was nice and, and just, you know, easygoing. Like I just, I feel like every job I've had since then has been extremely intense. I don't know. Is that how, well, is that part of how you decided to go into film? I mean, I know you had your like viral sensation <laughs> YouTube video. Um, you were... No, after working in the office. You were already yeah, interested in Yeah, and I was film, a film major. But... And eventually, I, I was feeling... I saw all my peers, you know, moving to New York or L.A. and, like, pursuing the thing. And I was like, oh, man. I I started to feel really antsy. Like, I was, like, ready to move and mm-hmm. get out of my comfort at the time. And then move to L.A., do that mm-hmm. whole PA thing. I was, like, just so ready. And then Iowa happened. And I was like, whoop. <laughs> I was like, whoop. <laughs> sayonara (laughs) which was like a whole new experience that I was like wow I never thought it was it it was like an adventure I was like I didn't know the midwest I didn't know what I was gonna expect I wasn't I just had no idea so it was exciting is that the only time you've lived outside of California is when you were in Iowa yeah yeah so it's like yeah that was a big oh yeah change yeah (laughs) so you've always wanted to teach yeah, I think so. I mean, I really enjoy working with little kids and I love teaching high school students and college students too. I mean, there's something about like watching their minds grow. That sounds so cheesy, but it's true. It's such a beautiful thing. And I also like how I found this, especially with teaching high school students, when I'm forced to break down an idea or a skill into small parts, it helps me understand it better. And so like one thing I've really learned over the past two years is that assigning is not the same as teaching. And a lot of people think, oh, if I just give these students an assignment, they're going to learn how to do it by doing the assignment. But when you teach high school students, you know, there are a lot of expectations that you're actually going to teach the student how to do the thing. You're not just going to Like, I think maybe in college, there's more room for just assigning them something and kind of culling the ones who can't do it from the ones who can. But in high school, that's not enough. You're really expected to to grow the students as human beings and as learners and to show them how they can actually improve their skills. And so I think my understanding of of how plays work has gotten stronger as I've had to really look at how to teach them things like for example a lot of students come in to my class right having written lots of fiction and they know how to tell what characters are like through description but when it's time to write a play and they have to show character through dialogue and action that's a really new thing for them and they don't know how to do it and Um, and I could just say, well, write a play, you know, and then grade them on how well they do it. But what I've learned how to do is to break down the techniques of playwriting into smaller parts and to, Mm. you know, say, okay, well, just show me something about this character through the way they talk to their grandmother or show me something about this character through the way they talk to their friends. And that that would be one assignment and that they would practice using different kinds of speech for different kinds of characters 
and that eventually that building block becomes part of writing a play. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I love teaching. I feel like teachers really, like thinking back, teachers are probably really influenced in my life. <laughs> just really good teacher. Yeah, really? I mean, I'm just like thinking the teachers I've had from first grade all the way to even grad school, you know, call it's just teachers are probably the, next to my parents. <laughs> like I spend the most time because they're, you know, they were like shaping yeah. um, how, we, how I would think and reading and writing and learning and teachers definitely are really important. <laughs> Tell us about one of your favorite teachers. One of my favorite teachers. So, um, I had this teacher, Miss Gomez, in third grade at Park School, and she was the first teacher that, like, I don't know, I can't say, but she was like, you're special, you know, that kind of, like, attitude towards me, like, you're great, like, Mm -hmm. you're so funny, you know, like, you're, you know, like, she she gave me a nickname, she started calling, like, Sarah Barra, I, you know, she was just like, she just, (laughs) like, made me feel like you're, like, despite everything that's going on with my life at home, it was just like, oh, at school, you know, I felt like really um, with other students, it just like felt like a really commu- nice community and like protected and just really great. Um, That's so sweet. Yeah, it, she's, she was the sweetest teacher. Well, I, Sarah Cho, you know, became a troublemaker. <laughs> like, it, it was like, I got too comfortable. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I got, I don't know what it is. I got cocky or something. Like, I was like, I'm mm-hmm. oh I'm the teacher's fa- in her class in like her I class? was like I felt like oh I'm her favorite like I'm her favorite I know that she knows that you know and the students know that like I had <laughs> this like weird mindset developing and so like I think I started to think that I could get away with things you know like I would start talking Uh-oh. in class or I would start you know, coming into class late or when it's recess and I would be the first one out the door before the bell rang. And I was just like getting away with like things like that to a point where she called me out in front of everyone and it said, Sarah, stop Aww. it. You know, like you can't do that. And then I was like, and then, I, and I kind of gave her like, Oh, whatever. You know, like this, like <laughs> a shoulder shrug, a third, like eight year old Sarah doing a shoulder shrug. And then she was like, you have detention. And like, she started giving me all these like punishments, consequences of all my actions. So, um, I went mm-hmm. from, I don't know if you ever, you, you ever, if you ever used to do this where you had like a green card, a yellow card, a red card. Yeah. I, I've worked in schools where that, where they yeah. use that, but I don't think. So I was like, went from green card 30 days straight in a month so all of a sudden, I was going from a yellow, orange, and a red card. And the red card meant, like, you're not qualified for any <laughs> prices that month. Or, or like, you're now you're oh, going to have to stay after school for, like, 30 minutes and spend lunch at, in this classroom, you know? So that happened. And then I don't know why. I was just, like, this feeling of, I thought you liked me. You know? Like, I thought you liked me. Right. And you know now we're not friends anymore we're not friends anymore you can't call me sarah barra anymore it was just like this really weird it was like a weird thing um it's so hard to be a mm -hmm. little kid i mean i actually don't think that's weird i think that happens all the time it's like because you know if a kid 
builds that relationship with a teacher and then they start to feel like they're special, then they want to test the limits of that specialness, you know, and that's totally normal. Yeah. And then she was like, stop being so obnoxious. I know. I was just like, that with great power comes great responsibility. And like, I took advantage of all that. <laughs> Did she ever, were you able to come back from that time and get back into her good graces? Yeah, eventually, like, um, I mean, she stopped calling. Well, she'll start, she was once in a while, like, good job, Sarah Barra, you know, like that. But it was, it was mm-hmm. very like, since getting that red card, I was just like, I just want to do do my best here and just grad, you know, graduate third grade. <laughs> you know, it was just kind of yeah. like finished doing my homework every day and don't talk when I'm not allowed to talk in class and be disruptive and be respectful. I can picture you as like class clown. Oh my god, I was the biggest class clown. The thing is, it was like <laughs> I stopped. Like, I try not to be a class clown in class, but, man, in recess, mm-hmm. lunch, I was wild. Like, I was already doing stand-up at nine, you know? I'm, like, I was, like, making all my <laughs> friends laugh, and then I'm just, like, everyone, like, I was, like, everyone gather around me. Gather around me. I have something to say. I have jokes. I have jokes. I'm going to test this out. <laughs> this, like, smirky little nine-year-old, ten-year-old kid just trying to make friends <laughs> the most obnoxious way. Yeah, I yeah. can picture that. For sure. Anyways, I think I could be a teacher. <laughs> I think so, too. Well, you taught at Iowa. Yeah, that's true. And I got in trouble. I, I feel like I got in trouble. Class. I don't know. I think really? so. Really? Remember we did that collaboration between our classes? Like, on the last... <gasps> oh. Like, didn't they write them... They, they wrote, like, um, plays together back and forth or something, and then on the last day we shared them? Yes. Oh, yeah. And I just remember, like... We went into your classroom and I could just like immediately tell all my students were thinking, oh, this class seems like so much more fun because <laughs> everyone was just seemed so happy and you, you've got pizza for all of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that. Yeah. Well, I got, because it was like a fun party, right? Wait. But yeah, that was such a fun um, exercise of that back and forth. That was so, that was so great. We're such great teachers. Yeah. Good job, yeah. us. I just have this memory of like one of my students who was very serious, was trying to write this serious play. And then your student who he was paired up with kept like killing off the characters or something or like making things happen that made no sense. And he was like, why is this happening? <laughs> I don't remember oh. who that was. Well, Sarah said that anything could happen, and this is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no logic. No logic. We don't use logic here. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. So it seems like teaching has its perks. Oh, definitely. You're you're on yeah. spring break right now. <laughs> yeah, you spring break breaks. is a definite you perk. You breaks. That's... But, I mean, the thing I've realized about working with real teachers, which I guess I'm not a real teacher because I'm on this fellowship, but, you know, I work with real teachers and they need those breaks. Yeah. You know, it's like everybody who's not a teacher thinks, oh, it'd be so nice to be a teacher because I get breaks, but like teachers are barely alive by the time they get to the break. (laughs) You know, there would just be no way to sustain that level of energy and, you know, I mean, it's like you're thinking about your kids all the time, you know, and you're like emotionally invested in your students and 
their lives and their heartbreaks and their anxieties and not only that but it it's like you're grading and prepping around the clock Mm -hmm. and so and you can't take off you know other breaks it's not like you can just decide to go on vacation at another time of the year because you know that's just not allowed so it's like by the time summer vacation rolls around (laughs) all the teachers are like I don't know if I can come back next year Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when summer's over, they're like, oh, I'm ready for another year, you know, but yeah, that's why I think teachers, especially elementary school teachers and middle school and high school, K through 12 teachers should be like the highest paying jobs. It makes no sense that we pay them so little. Yeah, I, I think because of that attitude that, I mean, our public education in the country is just so... It could be better. Like, it just could be better in terms of because if the yeah. teachers were treated yeah. well, you know. Ugh. What do you think of the terms? Oh, yeah. Ter- oh, I was just going to ask what? you the same thing. What do you think about starving oh, yeah, I was gonna, artists? Yeah. Is that what you were going to wow. say? Wow. Oh, my gosh. Same wavelength. Um, well, you go first, then. What I think about starving. What do you think about starving artists? When I, yeah. when I hear that, I just think it's so antiquated well here's the thing I feel like some people will say starving artists as like a good thing like you want to be a starving artist like you want to be a starving artist and I'm like they romanticize and I'm like well it was a different time back then (laughs) you know rent wasn't (laughs) like 300 percent in increase since or whatever or like right so you could kind of afford to be a starving artist but I I'm like now I'm just thinking, well, I have to think practically or I will go under. Yeah, it makes me think of somebody who's like always a man and maybe 22 and has tuberculosis and is living in like an attic in Paris. That's what I think of when I hear starving artists. You know what I, who I think are starving artists today? Social media who? influencers. Oh, I, yeah. Like just the way they live. But are they're they really not starving? starving? No, they're not. But they're living that kind of lifestyle. You know, they're like, I don't work. Yeah. I am frolicking in the woods and taking the nicest pictures of my food and just making a lot of money because I could afford it because my parents are paying my rent. <laughs> but that's not, that's not, I would consider that to be well-fed artists. Yeah. And I'm not sure I would call them artists. They, well, they're they're content creators. I mean, <laughs> that's like the opposite of a it, it is. But I it? think it's sort of that taking that core idea of what starving artists that um, I value. Like they yeah. don't need. They don't. They don't. They're not doing another job. They're focusing all of their time yeah. and energy on content yeah. creating. That's what I think. And didn't I was like, yeah. man, they they are the car accidents they're the accidents on the freeway I, that's wow. what I think like you know it's like it just takes one car just to just to like cause yeah. this like five hour traffic mayhem on the freeway it just takes one car and that's what mm-hmm. I think social media influencers are just to stay just it takes one of them to just ruin it for everybody just ruin it for everybody and they and they take all the like attention and 
what and resources away from everybody yeah, else. And then they Is just make things with, like important issues, and they just devalue it or something. Like I don't know. Anyways, mm-hmm. I'm trying to be one though. So <laughs> like, I'm trying to be a one. Well, the thing that I the thing that I think is so insidious about influencers and social media in general, maybe, is that I find myself wanting to make my life look like an advertisement, or like I see my friends trying to make their lives look like an advertisement, and it's just so mm. weird. Like, wh- like, why do we feel this pressure to make our living rooms look like? like a page in a magazine you know or like why do we feel this need to like show off that we have friends (laughs) it's just so bizarre you know but or or to like to like constantly take pictures of ourselves looking like we're in ads Mm -hmm. and it's almost like we we don't even notice we're doing it anymore because when we see our friends doing that, it just looks so normal now. But it's actually really odd. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this need to make our lives look like ads, which are intended to sell people things. Like, I don't need to sell anybody my couch. So why would I take a picture of my yeah. couch? I think the problem... Yeah, I know, you know what, what I mean. mean. And, I, and I think... I don't know what it is. Like... I think it's multiple, it's a really complicated, complex issue. It's like multiple things are happening at the same time. Like more than ever, there are a lot of people who aren't working or or struggling. And uh, in LA, and this is something I just started noticing because there were a couple of articles that was published in the um, Hollywood Reporter, like those industry, whatever, um, magazines and and how they were kind of normalizing people living out of cars you know like Whoa. PAs are can't aren't being paid enough so they're living out of their cars and they're kind of conditioning us to think that this is okay because some of the like the attitude is like right. I love living out of my car it's like I could move I'm on the go it's my lifestyle I look it feels great I'm like no, you deserve to live in a regular apartment. Like usually I'm at a home with access to water and toilet. Like And this industry that is making billions of dollars off of your labor (laughs) has an obligation to pay you enough to Right. Like where is that person supposed to shower and go to the bathroom? And like, you know, they're counting on the greater society to support that person's needs. When really they should be paying that person a living wage to begin with. Oh man. And the you would be surprised how people are living. Like some are like, Oh, I just pay, you know, $50 gym membership at the local gym a month to have access to shower, you know? And then they live out sleep out of the car and go to the bathroom at the gym. And it's just, and how, how do they, I mean, they don't have a kid. I mean, they'll go out or like they'll, because you're not paying for rent, you know, which is a, which is exorbitant right. in LA, so especially um, yeah. that money just kind of goes to other expenses. But, where is our humanity like heading right now? Where is it all heading? It's crazy dystopia. That's terrible. Yeah. Well, shall we move into on that note? Yes. <laughs> on that note, I have a really depressing glisten. Oh, yeah. I w- I recently watched the movie of Doubt, the Shanley mm-hmm. adaptation of his play, John Patrick Shanley, 
And I read that play when in my first, very first playwriting class, but I didn't remember very much of it. But after I watched the movie, I was researching John Patrick Shanley, and he totally had a Me Too moment in 2012 and was um, accused of sexual assault by the actress Amanda, I'm not sure how that's say her last name, Jensek or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked that I didn't know this, that this wasn't common knowledge. And it seems like it was just a couple years before Me Too, and so everybody has forgotten about it, and the case was thrown out by the judge, or dismissed by the judge. Um, and it made me really, really mad. That's my glisten. <laughs> Usually I have positive glistens, but that's a negative glisten. I feel like I want to follow that up with another negative glisten. Me too. Oh, oh, oh. go for it. Uh, no, no, but I think no. What you're saying though, um, like I am so curious to know where she is right now, or just like, I mean, all that has happened. Even just recently, last Sunday, there was a whole um, last week on John Oliver's show, revisiting his that topic of the episode was public shaming, and he interviewed Monica Lewinsky, mm-hmm. like. Like, mm-hmm. how did you go through all the public shame? Because right now, like, with social media, it's, like, amp- everything's amplified. Yeah. Like, we are so – it's this, like, witch hunt, you know? And, like, it's a lot worse and it's a lot yeah. easier. But she had, like, the worst – like, she became, like, a meme or, like, a joke in every rap song that exists, you know? It was so I bad. Know. Can you imagine? And- it's just awful what we did to her as a mm-hmm. country. There was a really interesting uh, moment in that interview where John Oliver asked her, like, why didn't you just maybe change your name, you know? And she was like, "Yeah." well, people weren't asking Bill Clinton to change his name. Right, exactly. Was, uh, you guys, uh, well, this episode was just a... <laughs> just a smorgasbord of all of, kinds of things. Of, like... I was revisiting my my moment in childhood that scarred me a little bit, and we <laughs> talked about the state of our country and poverty. <laughs> influencers, I, I don't hate all influencers, but I'm just I. But I gotta say that those influencers, um, I, and I, sh- I think I shared this with you off recording, but you know about that poppy field that I visited in in California and in this little town like Elsinore my fiance and I we visited and we were on the trail we like follow the rules but some people want did not follow the rule they want to take pictures off into the poppies and and to take that nice pretty photo and kind of ruined it for everyone because everyone starts trampling on the poppies and the nature around and it was all destroyed in this like small town and like half of LA had destroyed this nature park <laughs> people are horrible yeah. we're not we're not horrible though we're not horrible people <laughs> listeners we're doing we're doing our best um, we have good intentions <laughs> we're just playwrights we're, we're just observing things around us well you've wasted another perfectly good 37 minutes of your day listening to us thank you thank you thanks for giving us your time bye okay.